Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to season seven of Mads World. I'm your host, Mads, and I'm so excited to be back. I have so many exciting guests lined up for you over this next season, and I can't wait for you to hear everything in store. But up first, some exciting news. This episode is sponsored by Beducated, the number one online platform for sexual health and happiness. I'm so excited about partnering with them because if you enjoy Mads World, you'll love their content. They have a library of over 80 online courses created by the world's top experts covering everything from healthy porn watching to sex positions to the science of kissing. I recently watched their female orgasm course which was super fascinating with so many tips that focus on the whole experience of female pleasure. They have something for everyone no matter your age, gender, sexual orientation, relationship status or experience. It's a safe space to learn about sex and level up your love life even as a single person aka me. <laughs> because Beducated are supporting Supporting Mads World, you can do so too by clicking the link in my bio to just go check them out. And as a little treat, you can try all courses free for 24 hours and use the code MADS, M-A-D-S in caps lock for 40% off their yearly pass. In this episode, I am joined by award-winning comedian, writer and performer Fran Bush. She's had sold-out runs at Soho Theatre and The Roundhouse, written features for The Guardian, Cosmopolitan, Metro and been a guest on BBC Radio 4's Woman's Hour. I invited Fran to chat on the pod about her book, My Broken Vagina. The book follows her funny, moving and sometimes awkward quest to fix her sex life. It mirrors the story of millions of women everywhere, with half of all women having felt pain during sex. During Fran's journey towards a better relationship with her genitals, doctors advised her to have a glass of wine to loosen up and male friends suggested she simply hadn't tried the right penis yet. Unsurprisingly, neither worked. After a visit to sex camp and many attempts to fix her broken vagina, Fran decided to share her own hilarious, excruciating and sometimes upsetting experiences. With the help of her 16-year-old self's diary, expert advice, candid and enlightening interviews with others about sex and some self-care exercises, Fran sets about trying to make herself and other people feel like they're not being gaslit by their own vaginas. 
In this episode, we chat about female sexual dysfunction and the variations, vaginismus, self-esteem and mental health, staying present, and much more. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Fran. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm really good. We're recording this in the middle of a heat wave, so it's an absolute struggle. As you were saying, recording podcasts in a heat wave is not the one. Fans off, windows closed, in the yeah. dark. Like, well, not in the dark, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I've abandoned underwear. I oh. think underwear was not made for heat waves. No. <laughs> Um, and I've sort of adopted like a, it feels like quite like a gorilla stance. So like my, I've just got as much airflow around like my armpits and the back of my knees as possible. Yeah, I call that the cowboy stance as well. Like when yes. you've got chafing at a festival or chafing at the beach and you just walk around like a cowboy. It's good, we're taking up space. Honestly, it's like, what is it, manspreading, but the female version. Yeah, but this one's really empowering, I think. Yeah, I love it. Empowering and cooling. Power pose. <laughs> exactly. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm super excited to chat to you because this is something that is that has interested me for so long because I think it's something that I've gone through in my life and so many, yeah, so many women and so many people go through. So I have a few upfront questions just about your career and how you started out. And first of all, about your book, My Broken Vagina. So I just want you to tell me everything about your book and why people should go out and grab a copy. Yeah, so My Broken Vagina, which is a really fun title to ask for at the <laughs> bookshop. Even I get shy at saying like, do you have My Broken Vagina in? Um, which I thought I would be over by now, but I'm not. I'm still just like, mm-hmm. oh, I've got a, a question for you. Um, but it's about me turning 30 and realizing I wasn't having the sex life I hoped to be having. Mm-hmm. Um I realized that I was sort of pretending to enjoy sex a lot. I'd got really good at it. I was making all the right noises. Mm. I was putting on this real show, performing for partners. But actually, my experience of sex over time had been that it had been painful sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I hadn't always felt very aroused and I really struggled to orgasm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was so drastically different to the sex I'd seen in movies or on TV or even the sex you mostly hear people talk about. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was broken, hence the name My Broken Vagina. Mm. Um, And so the book is about me going on a a bit of a mission, a quest to try and fix myself. And I think something that people can, or anyone can relate to really, is sometimes that feeling of... uh, that you're broken, that there's something Mm. wrong with you. Why aren't you like everyone else? Why isn't your body like everyone else? Um, And when it's with sex, it's quite a hard thing to talk about. People don't want to say that they're not having the kind of porn star type sex that we see everywhere else, that we're not like having 17 orgasms in one afternoon session. And um, and so, yeah, it was about me, I guess, being vulnerable, and uh, but it's also a very funny book. Yeah, um, because sex is funny, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's so interesting that it's so hard to talk about when it's something that literally every well most people on earth will do in their life. People are you know born from sex, but it's something that's still so taboo and so hard to speak about. But you're right, there is such a like funny, vulnerable human element to it that's just a bit like 
you know, a bit gross, a bit fun, like a bit weird. Everyone has like their own experiences with it. But yeah, it's it's fascinating that everyone finds it difficult to speak about because it's so it's such a human experience. Yeah, we get really shy about it, don't we? And I think there's like a an ego thing in there as well. So we all want to think like, and me too, like I want to think that I'm an incredible lover, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And to admit that sometimes maybe we don't know what we're doing or that sex education really let us down, which I think it did for most people. Most people's sex education was terrible and missed out huge swathes of experience. So to admit that and say, actually, do you know what? I don't, I don't know how to make this better. I don't know who to ask um, because whose responsibility is it yeah. for me to have a banging sex life? Oh, my God, that's so that's so true. And do you know what? I've definitely been there with just sitting around with the girls talking about sex or, you know, your friend shows up late to pre-drinks or something and they're like, oh, sorry, I've been in bed shagging all day, like haven't had that much sex in ages and stuff. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, like, I just don't want to have sex like five times. It's the no part of me that wants that. And then you do find yourself thinking like, is there something wrong with me? Like, should I be wanting to do that? Should I be at home having sex five times before I come to pre-drinks? Like you just <laughs> you like question everything and you're just like, am I normal? Like, am I like everyone else? And then you kind of have that spiral of like, are people just, you know, over explaining things? Are people talking things up? Is it like how you imagine it is in porn versus the sex your friends are having versus the sex you're having? So yeah, it's so interesting that, and I find it so inspiring that you've written this book and I just, I can't wait to read it. I'm super buzzing to read it. Oh, thank you. Um, And how did it feel seeing it come to life in the diary of My Broken Vagina on Channel 4, which I absolutely loved, by the way? Oh, thank you. Yeah, it it was amazing because, so I... I kept teenage diaries mm-hmm. like the whole way through and they are excruciating. My, like I read back yeah. from being like 13 and I would just like, I'd be pretending that a boy I fancied had rang my house, but of course he, <laughs> he hadn't, but I was just like living my best teenage life fictionally. Um, but I also, I have these diaries of the whole time when I was first trying to lose my virginity. Um, and I was quite detailed. Um, I, I really said, uh, really, it, it didn't work basically for a very long time. I just couldn't manage to make things click or fit together mm-hmm. in the way that I thought that they should. Mm. So seeing those diaries come to life on TV was amazing because they're so goofy and quirky yeah. and <laughs> awkward and I guess a lot of the teenage experience we see nowadays is quite like shiny and these cool teens. And I was not a cool teen. I was every inch as awkward <laughs> as they come. So it wasn't like it wasn't like watching Euphoria then and like people having this this awesome sex life. <laughs> it was absolutely nothing like watching Euphoria. I cannot relate to that show at all. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I'm going to put a link in the episode description for everyone listening. If you haven't seen it, definitely go and check it out. And obviously, there's a comedic element to everything you do as well, which I think is super important when we're talking about these issues. And as a comedian, what interests you? most about exploring female bodies and your own body as a subject matter and sort of where did this fascination begin how did you sort of get into that yeah I I think I never really thought I was actually going to talk about 
um, my vagina on stage because uh, it's so it's so personal, right? Yeah. And there's a there's an episode of Friends where they go to see a one woman show, and it's just this woman on stage who's like, "Chapter one, my first period," and it's like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, is that is that what I'm making? Am I making this like terrifying, angry sort of uh, sexual experience where I talk about my vulva?" Um, <laughs> And that makes, you know, even now, like my toes are curling even thinking about that. So I was like, okay, I, I, I do want to talk about this, but I need to find a way that is right. Mm-hmm. And also at the other end of things, like you don't, no one wants a lecture on this. I mean, you can go out and watch a lecture. There are plenty of them. There are, uh, there are TED Talks. There's all kinds of amazing resources out there if you want facts and uh, statistics. But actually... To really, I, I guess, get to grips with this subject, I, it had to be funny for me. Yeah. Because sex is funny, because of the, you know, it's something, it's the weirdest thing we do as humans. Definitely. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I think it makes it easier to talk about for other people. Um, it's very disarming. If you can laugh at something, suddenly it feels a hundred times more easy to talk about and I would get people coming up to me after my shows um because the it started life as a a one-woman show Mm -hmm. and audience members would come up to me afterwards and say I you know I really resonated with this that thing happened to me and suddenly they were sharing experience with me in a way I hadn't really anticipated I thought people would just be sitting there going oh this is embarrassing please make her stop talking about her fanny (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, it's so it's so amazing that you've accomplished all of this. And what keeps you busy apart from comedy and writing? What and what do you love doing outside work? Because obviously this is gonna this is a massive part of your life. And you were telling me before you're going up to Edinburgh Fringe, which will be awesome. But yeah, what what else keeps you busy and what are you passionate about? Um, dance. I love dancing. Really? Yeah, I love it. I <laughs> love that. What kind of dancing? Oh, anything. I do a kind of dancing called Diva Dance, which is exactly what it says on the label. Uh, just endless Beyonce and Lizzo, just uh, incredible. Um, oh my god! I'm going to learn salsa in September, which I think will be great. Hopefully, I'm obsessed with that. That's just so random. Do you know what? I just, uh, you know, people meditate a lot, and I have a very busy mind. My mind is just like always ticking over. And I sit down and try and meditate, and I, I can't. My brain is always like, oh you should have checked this thing. You haven't paid the gas bill. Yeah, yeah, it's never switching off. But the only time I manage to feel like my mind is completely clear is if I dance. And I think part yeah. of that is because you you can't think about anything else. You'll fall on your face if you do. Um, and part of that is just like a real great connection with your head and your body. So, yeah, dance, dance, swimming, and cake. <laughs> And cake. What <laughs> Those are cake? my three. Just any any cake. I think cake is great. We should all have more cake. Like making <laughs> cake or just buying cakes and eating them? Do you know what? I used to make them and then I was like, oh, pe- other people make these so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just go and buy cakes. Do you know what? I read this, this meme once and it was like once you realise you don't need it to be a birthday to buy a birthday oh. cake, the next part of your life really begins. Oh, I totally get behind that sentiment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, 
that's my passion. (laughs) I'm obsessed with that. So dancing, swimming, cake, love it. And in your opinion, what has been the most interesting change to the way sex has been approached over the last 50 years? So obviously there's so many different pivotal things like the pill and then, you know, the BDSM community and there's just so many different touch points. But what would be, in your opinion, the most interesting thing? Mm, I guess... um there's something that's been happening around uh, female pleasure becoming recognized as sort of part of self-care and the importance mm. of female pleasure in general. Like there are apps for it now. Um, sex toys don't all look like big throbbing penises with veins on them. Like <laughs> they look uh kind of you know beautifully aerodynamic like things you could put on a in a gallery on display yeah or like an alien or something yeah exactly (laughs) and and there's you know there's uh tv shows documentaries on netflix so i think just this uh i guess taking pleasure and, and putting that more more center stage and being something that you're like, actually, I'm not out of line in asking for this and ex- not expecting necessarily, but um, for this to be part of my sexual experience. Um, and that's something I'm sort of, I'd say maybe even, even in the last sort of 10 years feels like it's really started to be more talked about I love it that it's also there's a focus on the female gaze as well and the male gaze is sort of removed from that female self-pleasure because Mm. as you said there's no there's no male influence when it's a sex toy that doesn't look like a penis and also it's not about you know men saying oh I love it when I can make a woman orgasm or you know it's not about men saying I find it attractive when a woman comes or whatever it's more about the female experience separate from the male gaze and I think that is just so cool yeah I I totally agree I think just having it's almost like more spaces have emerged where women can feel safe to explore that and whether that is I don't know there are there are all kinds of um, I get like there are classes there are mm. online tutorials there's there's so much out there that now it doesn't feel like a dirty little secret that you're creeping into the back of a sex shop to try and find something uh, or you're like you've got a secret browser open and hoping no one else sees it it feels now like oh okay we're maybe ready to have more of this conversation. Yeah, and I even remember 10 years ago, like when I when I just finished school, I don't know if this is a maturity thing, but I remember like talking about masturbation with someone else, one of my friends, and they were just like, ew, I can't believe you do that or I've never done that. And they were just totally like disgusted. And I was like, I, I even felt that it was it was weird, like her reaction. I was like, oh my God, like this is obviously a normal thing that we're obviously, like mm. we're all doing it. Like why are we not speaking about it? But now I feel like, you know, you can sit around with the girls and it's the same way that men can sit around and joke about it and speak about it and all those sorts of things. Like, I don't know whether that's just in my own circles, like maturing, or if it's just the way that things like sex and masturbation have been like are being spoken about amongst women. I think it, it is a growing conversation, definitely. And I think, I think it's probably both of those things together happening at exactly the right time. And I, I mean, I, I don't, no, but I feel like a lot of the conversations that happen between men about sex are quite 
surface level sometimes because there is that thing of not wanting to open up, to not want to admit that you're vulnerable, to not want to say that something maybe isn't right. And so I think there's hopefully over time that will become more of a thing as well. Yeah, and it's, it kind of links to what you said about humour making things easier to speak about because I think in straight cis male circles, humour is how they go into those conversations. It's how they open up. It's kind of like if they are feeling so anxious about something, they want to raise it with the boys, they'll, ma- they'll make a joke about it or they'll say something about how they had a wank and it was weird or something and then they'll be like, but do you actually think that was weird though? Like, yeah. <laughs> you think that's like a segue <laughs> to go in, which is like – exactly what you were talking about before. Mm. So I I wanted to get into a bit of a discussion about the themes in your book surrounding female sexual dysfunction because I I found it so fascinating reading up on this online and listening to a few other podcasts that you've done about this. And I just wanted to know in your own words, can you tell me what female sexual dysfunction means to you? When I first started trying to have sex, I found it incredibly painful. Um, I... Uh, was having sex with someone with a penis and I wasn't able to get the penis to go inside me. And for, I I mean, I went to the doctor several times and I was just fobbed off every single time. Like one doctor would say, oh, like you just need to get out there more, Mm. go have more sex. One said, have a glass of wine to loosen yourself up a bit oh my god Um, one said oh it will probably stretch more once you've had a baby not even asking if that was part of my life plan oh my god I got so much terrible advice yeah and I just I felt very on my own with it and so I of course as we all do ended up turning to the internet Mm -hmm. and the closest thing I managed to find was the term female sexual dysfunction Mm -hmm. and broadly it's an umbrella term which covers experiencing pain during sex or difficulties with arousal Mm -hmm. um, or any difficulties orgasming and I was like oh actually that feels like the closest fit because I did find sex very painful which meant that I didn't always want it the next time. Your your body has an inherent response as well when it comes to things like pain as well. Like you're not going to get aroused if your body knows that something hurt you in the past. Completely. Your body has a memory, right? It, yeah. Like it holds yeah. on to stuff. And so with those two things uh, in play, there's no way I'm going to orgasm. So, so I was like, it, it sort of feels like the closest thing I've found so far. Um, but it's also a term I find quite, tricky because um it like how do you define if you are not like aroused enough or not orgasming enough like I don't I didn't know where my comparison was meant to be like um was I being demanding asking that I had more orgasms or or like I I feel like I should be more aroused and you know we all know that shoulds are really dangerous, like feeling like you should be doing something or it should be a certain way. And it's interesting that it encompasses pain and on the other end of the spectrum, just not enough pleasure. Mm. So it's sort of like you were saying, is there a different level of that? Yeah, what is the peak or what is the, you know, the normal level of pleasure that you should be experiencing? And the, the fact that 
that's used under an umbrella term alongside pain, it just seems like there should there should be more of an exploration there. But like you said, on the internet, there's only so much that, you know, you can find sometimes, especially with when things are sort of new concepts. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think it's there's this sort of feeling that you're like, well, am I just chasing like more and more and more? And at what point should I just be sort of satisfied and and we're told as well you know we're told when we first start having sex that sex will probably be painful mm. um because we're taught you know we're taught about the hymen generally that's one mm. of the only things I was taught about yeah so weird it's like so, it's like a one-time thing and then you forget about it forever like teach me about what I'm actually gonna have to use yeah, throughout absolutely. my life and, <laughs> and actually like it doesn't have to be painful. We're taught that it's going to be painful. And so we, we sort of learn to expect pain. But for most people, the first time you have penetrative sex, it it doesn't have to be and actually shouldn't be really. But um, a lot of the time, because people are tense, because people are nervous, because mm. people probably aren't using lube other than a lubricated condom probably, then it's, it is painful. But um yeah, it does feel a bit with this term, female sexual dysfunction. It does sort of feel like they all got just chucked in a bag together. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they're like general vagina problems. Um. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Which is it's hard when you're when you're looking for a label for what you're experiencing. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I mean, we've spoken briefly about sort of how how everything is chucked into a bag, and you know, there's sort of a different spectrum of of different types of female sexual dysfunctions. But what would be the different types of female sexual dysfunction that you would say? Like, um, obviously, there's 
vaginismus. Have I said that right? I've, yeah. been, I've been reading the word so much and I'm like, in my head, that's how I say it. <laughs> like vaginismus. And then there's just, you know, what would be the different types? I'm not going to say it for you because obviously you're the expert here. But yeah, what would the different types of female sexual dysfunction be? Um, well, sure. I think uh, so, like vaginismus is one that I definitely feel like fitted some of my experience. Mm-hmm. So that is when there is a, an involuntary clamping of the vaginal muscles, mm-hmm. um, which make penetration pretty impossible. And that is, it's not only penetration with a penis, but it can be during a cervical screening or if someone is trying to use tampons, uh, it can just be like, no, absolutely no way. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's nothing going in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, so there are treatment options available for that if anyone thinks that they do they're experiencing something like that and often people will say it feels like there's a brick wall at the entrance to my vagina it feels like this penis or this sex toy or this tampon is hitting a brick wall mm-hmm. and sometimes there's there's pain associated with that as well um but often talking therapies psychosexual therapy or um, there's dilating treatment where basically these sort of silicon dilators can be used mm-hmm. to acclimatize <laughs> the vagina mm. to having something in it. And they start in a very small size and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I, I think, probably when I was a teenager and when I was trying to desperately lose my virginity to my first mm. ever boyfriend. Um, I think that's probably what I experienced. Um, but there are there are other ones which are more to do with like irritation in the vulva um, and also, I guess, like changes. You have changes around, around different times in your menstrual cycle. Um, some people who take antidepressants will notice that at, at different times, they will maybe not be as aroused or they might know they, they might notice that they're drier like and there are loads of things like that someone told me um oh hay fever medicine apparently antihistamines can really affect really yeah and i i have bad hay fever so i didn't know that at all but it's there are so many things that can affect the way we feel sexually mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I wonder. So, would you put in the same group of this just indifference to sex? Because there's asexual people, but then what about people that are just indifferent to sex? And whether that be like from different issues like depression or anxiety or things like that, would you put that under the same umbrella as female sexual dysfunction? So, it, again, this is the thing where it's like, oh, it's so hard to categorize, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and medically. The uh, when lots of these definitions were being created, the thing that made it a medical problem mm-hmm. was whether or not the person experienced distress. Okay, because for one person, actually having sex once a week for ten minutes is perfect. Yeah. For one person, that's like going to be a desert. Uh, so everyone's idea of what they want to be their normal mm-hmm. is going to be so vastly different. So the way, the thing that really tips it over the edge into actually 
I want to seek help, is there help available? Mm-hmm. is if the person is experiencing distress which I think mm. a lot of people do and do you think that that distress could be caused by outside influences so for example your friends all saying that they're having sex every day or you know you will you're watching things in porn that you think are normal and, and you think that doesn't turn me on or that that's not the sex that I'm having do you think that that distress is coming from not what people want but what they're they expect that they should be having yeah I think that can definitely be true um I I read a study that was saying about how much sex people actually are having and it's so much less than we all think is it Uh, yeah it's really not as much as as you would imagine Mm. um and a lot of people say that's you know it's because of technology everyone's on their phones you know different priorities but like we're you know we're also like we're we're working differently certainly over the last few years I mean I applaud anyone that's had a sex drive consistently um so I think you know there really there really can be this feeling of comparison and comparison is mm. the saying comparison is the thief of joy and that oh, I love that. that definitely can be true and I think this is, I think the trouble is, it's a bit of a head fuck, isn't it? Because you're like, yeah. okay, am I experiencing a, a feeling of comparison? Mm-hmm. Or am I experiencing something that could be helped? And actually, there's a, those two, the, the Venn diagram of those two things overlaps. But it's mm. just about working out who to ask. Because I went to the doctors, I mean, I've, I went to the doctors many, many times. Mm-hmm. And one of the times, which was, I think, in my early 30s, I was just like, you know, I'm really not orgasming at the mm-hmm. moment, like mm-hmm. at all. And they were like, right, well, what do you want us to do about that? Oh, God, yeah. Half of me was like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. Please, Earth, swallow me now. And half of me was like, I guess... I guess fair enough because you know you you look at your body and you're like well my my legs aren't falling off I'm not in immediate danger this is a is this a luxury problem or if it's affecting your quality of life though you know if it's if yeah. it's something that is a human experience that everyone everyone else seems to be getting joy and pleasure out of then it's completely valid yeah I'm just having a drink sorry <laughs> um, so in saying all of that, it sounds quite similar to when people have things like depression and especially in men. I've, I've found this in a lot of the boyfriends I've had in the past. They say things like, yeah, I'm just feeling like down and sad and quite worthless and, you know, not good enough and stuff. And I'll be like, sounds like you have depression. And they're like, oh, nah, I don't think mm. I'm depressed because like depressed people, you know, like want to kill themselves and stuff. And I'm like, you don't have to be you know, so far down the rabbit hole with something in your health, like your leg doesn't have to be chopped clean off before you go to the doctor. Like if you've got a sore leg, you can go, you know, whereas like with this, it's like maybe if it's something that is worrying you and it's something it's, you think like, oh, you know, I don't have it so bad, but it could be worse. That's still like reason enough to go and, you know, seek different types of therapy, the ones you were speaking about before, which I was going to ask, are all of those therapies that you spoke about, like um, like sex therapy and psychotherapy and stuff, are they all quite new treatments? Because as you were saying, like in the last 10 years, this has become more of a, a spoken about thing. Um, I think certainly like access to them has grown a lot bigger. 
Um, but I think they have been a- around for a while. But I think the trouble is, like, I-, I spoke to a lot of, when I was writing the book, I spoke to GPs and I spoke to people who work with women's health. Mm. And actually, like, the amount of training and the amount of time spent when they're studying on any kind of sexual problems mm-hmm. is sometimes non-existent. Really? Um, yeah, you know, and I, I guess even people who've just had babies sometimes, mm. they there's a lot of looking after the baby. There's a lot of talking to the mother about general health. But things like sex... Things like, you know, um, when it is a good time to have sex again, if they would like to, mm-hmm. that isn't there so much. There are really big gaping holes, mm. um, which means that a lot of people are, are sort of going to slip through the cracks. This sort of brings me to my next question and point is what would you say in regards to how male sexual dysfunction is approached versus female? Mm. Yeah, I I guess neither is great. (laughs) Neither is great. I would say that it's definitely, there's definitely more out there. You know, I see big adverts for Viagra on the London Underground. I see adverts for it in the ad breaks of Love Island. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's, it's visible and more and more it's not being treated as a, oh, he can't get it up this person isn't hard enough this person's come too soon it's becoming less and less Mm -hmm. the butt of a joke but it it is still a bit and I think there are extraordinary pressures on people with penises to Mm -hmm. have erections that last for hours be rock Mm -hmm. hard be there's this idea that they're up for it all the time Mm -hmm. and actually that isn't that isn't the case and it's also it's it's harm that those ideas are harmful to everyone, right? Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's sort of a capitalist approach to it because if you can make money from the idea that men should be these like sexual machines that are always horny and, you know, create that that sense of feeling left out if you can't perform and wanting to match the level of sex that all of your mates are having around you and be able to joke about, you know, shagging for hours and all those things, is it is it just all a – a big capitalist ploy to sort of make money from make money from men, whereas with women and and female orgasms and female pleasure, it was probably something that wasn't really spoken about. So it wasn't something that females felt pressured to, you know, adhere to and rise up to if they weren't meeting a certain standard. Yeah, well, so when Viagra first came out as a drug, mm. like, it made so much money um like it was an enormous enormous boom Mm -hmm. um and that's actually why drugs for women in the same area in the same vein started being looked into because they Mm. were like oh my god if we can make this much money for penises just imagine um and there were I think I read something that said that there was suddenly these these people with penises who hadn't been having very much sex, then were taking Viagra and suddenly were expecting a lot more sex. And there were all of these women who were like, oh, I sort of thought we weren't doing that anymore. <laughs> what is there for, for me? Yeah. And um, that's sort of where the female sexual dysfunction label came from because mm. uh, they're like, well, we can't 
medicate this. We can't produce a drug for this if there isn't a name for it. Yeah. They did lots of drug trials and they there are a few things that people do take, mm-hmm. um, but actually a lot of them have been deemed not safe enough mm-hmm. or to not have enough of a benefit to be worth it. But it, there was this mad race Mm-hmm. to create something for women that would be as powerful as Viagra. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're completely right. I, I'm such a nerd on it. I, like, I really, really, I find it so interesting the way that drug companies oh, yeah. feel this idea that we are broken, that we are not having sex in the right way enough. Yeah. So that that definitely propelled by capitalism, yes. And in saying that, I found that so interesting when you just said having sex in the right way. So do you think there's an assumption that we as humans should just know how to like not only have sex but to have good sex and enjoy sex? Because even today I was saying to my housemate, I was like, oh, my God, I haven't done it in ages. I feel like I forgot. Like I don't know know how to do it. And he was like, Mads, you need to calm down. It's just natural. You're just going to figure it out. And I was like, okay. But. Do you think there is this assumption that we should just know how to do it and not have to be taught how to have good sex? Yeah, I think there definitely is. I mean, I didn't know that I had a clitoris for so long. Like no one said that word to me. I definitely wouldn't have been able to locate it. I I was calling my vagina a vulva right until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I didn't know the statistic is something like like 65% of women orgasm most of the time during sex Mm -hmm. and 95% of men orgasm most of the time during sex and I didn't know that that was a thing until a few years ago I think I thought it was only me and then I also didn't know that actually like penetrative sex is probably one of the, the least reliable ways of having an orgasm during sex but I didn't know that because all I'd seen was penis in vagina sex and I didn't know that actually I think the statistic is something like 75 uh, no 75% of women orgasm through help from tongue hands or sex toys uh, or or additional but not it's not penetration Mm. so all these things I have and like and I've really I don't want to use the phrase like boned up on it but I really (laughs) have I've got two final questions and these are going to be based on everything that you've learned through all of your work and all of your research over the last few years. So one of the issues, especially for me and for a lot of women, is staying present during sex and not letting your mind wander and trying to live in the moment because a lot of a lot of female pleasure comes from the mental side of things. So what are your best tips on staying present during sex? Yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? It's I, so um, hard. Because <laughs> I'm always like I'll be – I'll be having sex and then I'll be like, my boobs look weird. Why do my <laughs> boobs look so weird? Or I'm sweaty. Or maybe I should have done something different with my pubes. Um, or like, you know, suddenly my my brain is outside of the room entirely. I'm thinking mm-hmm. about what's in the fridge or like mm-hmm. who's going to win the next election. And I'm suddenly <laughs> not there. Yep. And I, I think it's something that I'm working on and I'm definitely not entirely there yet. But is mm-hmm. is mindfulness in the bedroom? And mindfulness as a word always really turns me off because I I guess just because I find it so hard. But Mm. I think just really pulling your attention to what is going on in the present moment and Mm -hmm. breathing. Um, 
And if you have a thought that you're like, oh, my nipples look weird from this position, then you're like, okay, I've had that thought. I just put that to the side, not dwell on it. Just, mm-hmm. uh, I think the, the mindfulness phrase is imagining the thoughts like clouds crossing over a sky. Oh, yeah, um, that's nice. Just, just let it go past. But also there are things that can help. Like I think it's about learning what you like and being able to communicate that and not worrying that someone is going to judge you for communicating that to them. So, for example, like I, I find music really helps me. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're someone that knows that they are probably a bit more relaxed and calm late at night or first thing in the morning. And we can't always dictate those things, right? We, we lead really, really busy lives. But mm-hmm. setting more of your non-negotiables <laughs> up. <laughs> yep. So we're like, okay, I really... I really like it if I've just had a shower because then I know I'm not going to feel like a bit icky or I really mm-hmm. like it in the shower, which I mean, I applaud anyone that can have effective sex in the shower. It's so it difficult. <laughs> and so dangerous. So dangerous. I slipped, it, I slipped over in the bathroom the other day and I was fighting for my life there, friend. <gasps> I honestly, I banged my head on the door, nearly snapped my arm off. I laid there just heavy breathing and I was oh, like no. there was two of us here we'd both be dead you'd be dead <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd find you like that and they'd know oh, oh, at least I'm alone <laughs> at least I'm single and alone R.I.P. me <laughs> um yeah no yeah I think setting those boundaries is definitely and not even just boundaries but just like parameters and what you like and what you don't like I mean it's easy to do in a relationship when you're single it is harder but you know, yeah. if you've got a, a regular sexual partner as well, I think it makes it a lot easier if you've got like a foundation of friendship and trust and stuff and you can talk about those things. Yeah. In in giving advice, this is my final question for you. What advice would you give your younger self in regards to sex? Mm. Uh, lube. Nice. Lube, <laughs> yeah. I I'd had these ideas that um, that lube was for people that really were broken Uh, that lube was for when you were over 50 Mm -hmm. and was embarrassing and basically was like confessing that you were a dried up desert of a vagina Um, and I didn't get over that until probably I mean really probably until my 30s like it still felt like an embarrassment bringing it out bringing it with me but again you know when I was when I was single having that as a non-negotiable now like I will take lube on a date because I can't guarantee that they will have one. And I can't guarantee that they'll have one I like. They might have some kind of weird, oh my God. Also like check the ingredients of your lube. Some <laughs> lubes should not be near genitals at all. In what way? Because they've got like menthol or because they've got allergens in them. Oh, I mean, they ha- some of them have all kinds of rubbish in it. It's just really worth doing a bit of research and seeing Um because people can be really allergic to things, but also uh, some lubes can really affect the pH of your vagina, and that's really bad as well. Some can give really bad thrush. Um, so the thing that is meant to make sex better can end up really making it worse. Um, I would recommend Yes Organics, which sounds fancy because it's organic, but actually um, it is brilliant, and especially for anyone that experiences any kind of vaginal pain. Um, You just know there's nothing, there's no irritants in there. There's nothing that's going to upset the pH. 
Um, mm-hmm. So you can just slather it on and not worry. Fran, I never thought a chat about lube could be so inspiring, but you've really, <laughs> I really can't wait to read your book. I'm literally going to buy it as soon as we jump off the phone. But this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on and just, yeah, offering so much insight and just being a really relaxing voice on the pod. I loved it. Oh, Thank you're you. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed my chat with the gorgeous Fran. Please let me know on my website, madsworld.co, or my Instagram at madsworld.mp3 if you have any stories or thoughts of your own to share. Love and elbow taps. Peace. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.